0: Good morning. You guys, doing all right? Good, good, good. Well, we are gathered up here to come together to proclaim the extraordinary privilege it is that we have a Savior that bothered to come and save us, bothered to come and redeem us, bothered uh, to show us through His incredible Word. The entire story. So remember, we shouldn't know what we know. We have no uh, reason that we brought to the table to solicit God revealing Himself to us. He did that because He's that good. And we now get the privilege of engaging in a journey through what he has revealed so that we might know him, that we might know his story, our story as it relates to him and how he is engaged with us and what he is calling us into in the journey toward our freedom as we move through our life and into eternity. What a crazy thing we get to do. And just a reminder to all of you that what what is happening in this room is not natural. It is supernatural. We do not have the ability uh, to be able to even understand that which he supernaturally gave to us without his supernatural intervention. So we are actually involved by the very nature of what we're about to do in a supernatural event, which is pretty Awesome. So if you're not like, oh my goodness, are you kidding me? This is not like a bunch of humans together to listen to some dude that talks for like an hour. Not quite, I won't do that. Um, This is actually an exploration of amazing things. So we are currently uh, in the book of Philippians. This is a letter that Paul uh, has written to the church in Philippi uh, because they solicited some uh, information from him in a wrestle that they were having. And um, many of you may not know this, but... Uh, This particular book and the passage that we are about to walk into that we're entering into now uh, is really in many ways my very first favorite passage. Now, my wife is in the room and she's already going, here we go again, Renaud and his favorite passages. So, you know, Romans 12 is one of my favorite passages and Ephesians 2 is one of my favorite passages and Galatians 5 is one of my favorite passages and Psalm 67 is one of my favorite passages and uh, Isaiah 40 is one of my favorite passages and James 1 is one of my favorite passages. And so I have a lot of favorite passages, don't get me wrong. But I thought long and hard about it. And I do think I can say with some certainty that my first favorite passage before all my other favorite passages one of my favorite passages was the one that we're kind of getting ready to walk into in this amazing book. Because I think Philippians was originally my first favorite book. And so we are walking into a space that I have among some other passages waited decades to be here and go, okay, here we go. This is awesome. So we're going to do that. Now the passage I'm talking about, we're not preaching on today. So if you're like, what? Hold on, time out. You can't do that. Like you set us up like, this is my favorite. and you're like, But that's not for today. That's for next week. Why do I do that? I wouldn't do that unless what we are going to do today is also equally special. You see, In many ways, what's about to happen is that we are coming out of a section in the book of Philippians that you might think about as a a road, a a highway, a journey, and we are about to transition from that road into the second road that is part of Philippians, where we divert from one highway to the other, and we move into a new uh, and and unfolding theme that Paul is going to bring to the table. And what we get today to do today is that we get to exit off of the highway we've been on in Philippians, and we get to exit off onto the highway we're going to get on. That highway is my favorite. You, you, you got me? And so at first I'm like, well, today's kind of the exit ramp. You know what I'm saying? And exit ramps aren't like, Whoo! it's just kind of like, we got to get from here to get to there, except that in the world that God brings to our table, in the beauty of scripture, There is no space in scripture, no word, no letter, no sentence, no paragraph that is wasted. That is nothing but an exit ramp. Even the exit ramps in God's word are profound and beautiful and extraordinary and have more wealth available to us on an exit ramp than we have a lifetime to explore. And you're like, you're exaggerating. I'm like, I dare you to try because God's word is that rich. So this little exit ramp that we're gonna take so we can enter onto the other highway is full of wonder. And today we get to spend some time taking our turn around this on-ramp so that we can explore where God is taking us through Paul. So are you guys ready to roll on that one? Because I'm ready! Okay, here we go. So where have we been? What is the road we've been on in the book of Philippians? Remember, the church in Philippi reaches out to Paul to say, we are living in a complicated cultural moment in time. The city they're in has a tremendous loyalty to the values of Rome that oppose the values of God's kingdom. And so they're trying to figure out how to live in a manner that is worthy and right as they follow Jesus in a complicated cultural scenario. They also have multiple Different gospel opinions rolling around, false gospels rolling around, Judaizers rolling around. And they're trying to figure out gosh, we've got the culture that sort of is against us and your kingdom. We've got all sorts of religious philosophies we're trying to navigate. We're not sure what to do with those because they're everywhere. Everyone's competing and vying for a religious position. And we've got ourselves and we can't even quite agree with each other on exactly how to do things no familiarity whatsoever to our current scenario but in theory we're pretty close right so that is the that is the solicitation and here's what Paul says he starts out this letter by kind of rolling directly in and saying man yes and here's how he starts I love your heart I love your heart. I remember the big, uh, we were partners in the gospel. I get why you're asking. You're not just trying to figure stuff out. You really want to do this, and I really want to help. And so the beginning of Philippians is I love you guys. Love your heart. Love what you're asking. Love what you want to do. I'm with you. I'm behind you. I'm for you. Uh, we're doing this together. And then right after that, he moves in to Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, where he says, okay, let's get practical. If you're going to live this out in this complicated culture with these realities of religious stuff going around and your own stuff, it's got to start here. We have got to live our lives with the gospel front and center, gospel-centered lives. He says it this way, uh, Philippians 1, 27, Live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel, right? So he's like that. I mean, it's not, not super complicated, difficult, yes, but not complicated. Look at the gospel, know the gospel, and live according to the gospel. That's where it starts. Then he moves from there and says, now, who is the gospel, One of you said it. That's excellent. So we'll we'll try that again. And the right answer is Jesus, just in case you're like, was that the right answer or the wrong person? So who is the gospel? Jesus. Jesus. And so here's what he says. If you're going to live a gospel-centered life, then you're going to better live a Jesus-centered life because they are the same thing. There is zero difference. One is not more than the other or less than the other. Jesus is the gospel. The gospel is Jesus. He embodies it. So he says this, look to Jesus and his attitude and live his way. Look at how he did it and follow that. So we move. Man, I love your heart. Live a gospel-centered life, uh, a life worthy of the gospel. The way you do that is look to Jesus's attitude and live that out. Yes, simple, but not easy. And then remember last week uh, and the last few weeks, he goes, okay, if you're gonna do this, you better do it together because it's going to be hard because lots is wrestling within you that opposes even the gospel life you want to live and following Jesus the way you want to follow him. So look to each other. And he says, I'm going to send you Timothy soon. I'm going to send you Epaphroditus immediately. And I'm coming hopefully after Timothy, because you should look to our example as we follow Christ and then follow Christ as we follow the Christ. So look to each other and how we're each following Jesus and then follow jesus as i follow jesus i will follow jesus as you follow jesus and together we can follow jesus okay so there there's the highway now we're like okay we're we're gonna gonna exit off this highway where is it gonna take us so grab your bibles and let's go take a look because we are about to get on the exit ramp so we can enter into my very first favorite favorite passage of the my very first favorite favorite book Uh, we're going to be in chapter 3 verse 1 of the book of philippians if you have your little notebook thingies Uh, that you have grabbed those now we're going to roll through and 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 move fast so all right Uh, Philippians chapter 3 verse 1 it starts this way finally my brothers okay so uh, interesting start here. the word finally so when we say finally 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 what do we mean we're like closing it out right it's coming to its end except that where are we in the letter Kind of in the middle, right? So it's kind of weird. Like, finally, I've got a half a letter still to write. And so some would say, this is how pastors roll. You know what I'm saying? And you guys know this. Like when a pastor says, okay, I'm going to close with this, then we're halfway through the sermon, right? And so this is Paul just kind of doing what pastors do. Hey, finally, I got one more thing to say. Just kidding. I got a lot to say. Except that's not what's happening at all. Because unlike a sermon where I'm kind of preaching and I might do that, this is now... Word for word, letter for letter, sentence by sentence, deeply intentional by the spirit of God through Paul. And so this is not a finally, this is my last point. Actually, the way that this word is used here is it can also be translated slightly differently than finally. And it can be translated this way. So, so then, or if you want, with that in mind, it's a little different than a therefore. It's a little different than a in light of, because if you say, therefore, I say this, therefore we do this, you're directly connecting it. You with me? But if you're saying, I said all this, so then, now that we know all this, where do we go with this? That's how, that's when you use a so then. So don't think of this as Paul's finally, I've only got one more thing to say. This is Paul saying, considering the highway we've just traveled on, so then what do we do now? And who is he saying this to? So then, or finally, dear brothers, whenever you're using dear brothers in scripture in a letter format like this, you can interchange that to dear friends, dear dear co-laborers, dear, dear fellow brothers and sisters. It's just an endearing reality to say, I am not here to bring something hard to you. I'm saying us together, we're gonna do this, dear brothers and sisters. So then what is it? that? Where do we go with this? We've just unpacked. Live a life worthy of the gospel. Watch each other and the way you're following Jesus and do it well. So, so then what? And here's what he says. Let's take a look. Let's take a look at what he says. Here he goes. Whoops, turned the page. Philippians chapter one. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. There it is. There there it is. There's the big, there's the big. So so then what do we, what do we do? Excuse me one second. Sorry about that. Uh, What do we do? We rejoice in the Lord. Now, when we hear rejoice in the Lord, oftentimes we narrow that to the expression of rejoice. So we say, we take our experience and we say, okay, here he's saying rejoice in the Lord. So so find joy in the Lord, be happy in the Lord. Considering all this that I've said, this life we're to live worthy of the gospel, following each other as we follow Jesus, having our attitudes be the same as Christ Jesus. We should find joy then in that, in the Lord. But that's not what he's saying here. To say rejoice in the Lord, which he'll carry throughout the rest of this letter is to say that what you find that is worthy in your life of having any semblance of well-being any semblance of joy any semblance of rightness any semblance of identity any semblance of anything everything that is joy on any level so think about that for a second think about when you're experiencing joy versus not joy he's like anything anything that solicits a sense of well-being or joy where should you find it In Jesus. Find it nowhere else. Don't find it in Epaphroditus. Don't find it in Timothy. Don't find it in Paul. Don't find it in your circumstances. Don't find it in your culture. Don't find it in your behavior. Don't find it in your obedience. Don't find it. Find it specifically, exclusively, only, ever in Jesus. The conclusion of live a life worthy of the gospel is, so then rejoice only in Jesus. The conclusion of obey well, follow each other as you follow Christ, have your attitude the same as Christ Jesus, watch your life is still this, but rejoice only in Jesus. Now, if you forget everything else I share today, don't forget that because this entire passage is actually about that. All Paul's really saying on this exit ramp is road, man, live your life worthy of the gospel, exit ramp but rejoice only in Jesus, lean only in Jesus, trust only in Jesus, find yourself only in Jesus onto a road about Jesus. You with me? But he's gonna expand this exit ramp a little bit to give us a little more clarity and meat on what this looks like. So let's take a look. Here he goes. So he says this, okay. Finally, my brothers rejoice in the Lord to write this, the same things to you is of no trouble to me, and is safe for you. What an interesting little sentence. Hey guys, so what? Big, big aha moment out of the first half of the letter. Rejoice only in Jesus. Land only in Jesus and bed only in Jesus. And this is that moment where I think the church in Philippi are rolling their eyes a bit, you know, like here Paul goes again. Let me guess, Paul, this is like those moments you come to this person, you know, and you're like, Paul, how how should we do it? Fix your eyes on Jesus. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I know, I, I know. But like, can you fix your eyes on Jesus, embed in Jesus, rest in Jesus, count on Jesus, stand in Jesus, rejoice in Jesus. And so here's what Paul's saying is, I know, I know, this is repetitive. I know, I'm saying it again. So then what? Rejoice in Jesus. And then he says this, but you know what? There's no trouble for me to repeat myself. It's no hassle at all. I don't feel any weightiness in repeating myself. Now, it's partly true that Paul is also kind of making a little bit of a reference here to what it takes to write these letters. They are writing on paper that's incredibly expensive because you didn't roll down to the uh, you know, office depot and, and buy a stack of printed paper. To get paper to write on in this time was an incredibly difficult task. And then to write on that paper, you didn't write and like... And then ah, that didn't work. (laughs) Every single thing you wrote, you were like, "This better matter," because this is expensive—the ink, the paper, everything. And and here's what he's saying: I'm going to be repeating myself quite a bit for the rest of this letter. (laughs) I repeated myself quite a bit when I was with you, but guess what? It's no trouble. It's no trouble at all. Why is it no trouble? Why does Paul not mind? Harking back over and over and over and over and over and over again to this. Rejoice only in Jesus. Live only in Jesus. Why? Because it is safe for you. It is safe for you. Anything outside of this repetitive reality is unsafe for you. So me wasting space to repeat this simple thing is not wasting space at all. It is safe for you. So Paul's like, okay, so we got this, right? So then rejoice in the Lord. That's it. Find yourself in Jesus. I don't mind repeating myself because it's safe for you. Let's see where he goes next. <clears throat> look out for the dogs. It's about right. <laughs> One of you were like, what, what just happened? <laughs> like we were just it was so nice. We were like safe in Jesus. And then like, look out for the dogs there's dogs. Listen, do me a favor. When you're reading scripture and you encounter these moments that just, you're just like, like what's going on? Don't skip over them. Don't just be like, oh, that's weird. Like it's not weird. Don't, it's funny, isn't it? Just be honest for a second. Don't we read the Bible differently than we read other books? Like we're expecting it to be weird. Like, oh, it's definitely weird. So if Paul's like, Hey, look to Jesus, look out for the dogs. We're like, that makes sense. That goes together really well. When you encounter something that you're like, whoa, what just happened? Step back for a second and say, Spirit of God, you're up to something really awesome here. This wasn't unintentional. It wasn't a lapse in your memory. It wasn't a sudden shift from one thing to another. You are up to something. And there is something here to be realized, seen, revealed that I need to know. So when it is weird, it's weird because there's something up. And so here he goes, okay, we're going to talk about the dogs for a second. Who are these dogs? Okay, let's take a look. He's like, look out for the dogs. Then he says, look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Wow! (laughs) So, Paul is now uh, in the process on this exit ramp of nailing down a thought process that he's going to land on, that is going to become critical to the highway we're about to jump onto. Because he's coming out of a space where he has spent some time dialoguing with the church in Philippi and also with us about a, a watching of our life. Are you with me? A behavioral reality is the way we behave something that matters to the gospel yes i love you guys you're like i don't know should i say yes or no i know it's tricky isn't it because it is kind of but yes it does matter you can read the entire bible there's a lot about how we should live right it's not like jesus said hey now that i've saved you do whatever you want like kill each other who cares right It's like no when we come to know Jesus, there is this immediate sense of everything begins to shape and change. And my, the entirety of my life is now a lifelong process of, of seeing it transformed by the power of the Spirit and my participation by His grace to see a sanctification take place, a becoming more like Jesus, that's what sanctification means, and, and slowly seeing my life uh, functionally uh, unfold the same way Jesus' life unfolded because that is what safe, safe and free and awesome, not dangerous and terrible. When we are lawless, in other words, we self-govern, we say, Jesus is cool and all, but I know better. I'm gonna do things my way. Lawlessness is very dangerous and out of the pit of hell. Why? Because it assumes that you and I know what is good for us, uh, better and bigger than the creator and sustainer of the universe. And so when we are lawless, because we think we are free in Jesus, that is a very dangerous way to live. But there is another danger that is not lawlessness. It's called legalism. And where lawlessness is self-governance, legalism is self-righteousness. What do both those start with? The word self and when the word self is our beginning point the word danger should be the next point in the sentence and the word death should come right after that You understand what I'm saying? Because it's not self, it's Jesus. And he knows. And so what Paul's saying is, man, I want you guys to be watchful over your life. I want you to follow the attitude of Christ. I want you to follow each other as you follow Christ. I want you to watch Epaphroditus. I want you to watch Timothy. I want you to watch me. I want you to watch Jesus. And I want you to live that way. But don't you think for one second that it is by living that way that you are proving something to Jesus or that you are elevating yourself to have more uh, 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 affirmation from Jesus or or more love from Jesus. Our behaviors, our self-righteousness can and will never be a part of adding to the incredible grace and wonder of Jesus's redemption for us. So now he's going to do this. We know, we, we know lawlessness is not uh, what I'm talking about because I just spent half of Philippians uh, defying that. But before we move on to looking to Jesus, uh, when you think about rejoicing in the Lord, think about it this way. Do not buy into legalism, self-righteousness. And how is he presenting this point to us in like this dramatic illustration? Here's what he's doing. Look out for the dogs, the evildoers, the mutilators of the flesh. You're like, who are these people? Okay, so this is super fun. I don't know why I find this fun when Paul's like using words and like showing something and offending people left and right. Not that I love offending people, but every now and then people need to be shocked a little bit into like, whoa. So there's these guys called Judaizers. And the Judaizer sect was a sect that said, um, Jesus did come to be the Messiah. And whose Messiah is he? The Messiah of the Jews. You with me so far? So that's the Judaizers. He's not everyone's Messiah. He's the Messiah of the Jews. But who can become Jewish? Anyone. Anyone can become Jewish. So what you need to do in order to get Jesus as your Messiah, you need to first become jewish and then you need to keep following all the jewish behaviors and laws and other things so that jesus continues to be happy with you as your messiah so he's here to save you if you're jewish so if you're a gentile then we need to find you and say oh you received jesus that's that's so sweet but you're not circumcised so then you're not Jewish. So then you, you, you have Jesus, but you don't have Jesus. And you're not following the Jewish laws. So you have Jesus, but you don't have Jesus. So what we got to do first is we got to get you onto track. We got to track you up because if you want Jesus to love you, to save you, to be your Messiah, you better behave and you better make your identity, your ethnicity Jewish. And so they would come and they would say, you need to get circumcised. You need to follow the Jewish law. You need to do the Jewish things. Then you can have Jesus as your Messiah. Then you need to keep doing the Jewish things because that's how Jesus will keep being your Messiah. And Paul's writing and saying, those people that are telling you that, don't listen to them. And here's what he's calling them, dogs. So just so you know, in the time of Paul, when they said, oh, look out for the dogs. They weren't talking about Maltese poodles. You know what I'm saying? They they weren't talking about uh, Labradoodles. They weren't talking about the fluffy pets in our house. They were like, oh my gosh, I hate the humans, but I love the dogs. They weren't talking about those kinds of dogs because during Jesus's time, dogs didn't roll around as little pets. During Jesus's time, those were the animals that roamed the streets, that carried the diseases, that scavenged all the stuff and that ran around biting people because they were mistreated and they were, and, and they were violent. And so what did you do with Dogs. You avoided them at all costs because if they came to you, they were unclean and they would bite you and they would hurt you and they carried unclean things. So when you compared a human to a dog, here's what you were saying. Stay away from those unclean humans. Who did the Jewish people call dogs? Gentiles. So watch this. This is so crazy. Paul's like, the dogs that the Jewish people called dogs, I'm now gonna flip that and say, don't listen to the Judaizers who are like dogs now. And then who were the evildoers? Who did the Judaizers and Jewish people call evildoers all the time? The Gentiles. And he's like, don't listen to the dogs, the Jewish people, the evildoers. So when the first two words come, you would think if you were Jewish, you're listening to this like Paul going, oh my gosh, he's talking about Gentiles. See, he's with us. And then he goes, those mutilators of the flesh. And now you're like, oh, definitely Gentiles. Why? because the way that Gentiles would worship in many of their worship settings would be that they would mutilate their flesh. You see this in today's religions all around the world, scars and brands and burns and things and piercings, all to say to the gods, hey, I'm I'm doing things to myself to, to suffer or to mark myself or to say something to you externally that says I'm yours. Please don't hurt me. And so the Gentiles were considered mutilators of the flesh who were evildoers and dogs. And so he goes, don't listen to those folk. And just when you think, oh, he's talking about the Gentiles, he does this. For we are the circumcision. And there's the clue. He's like, I'm not talking about the uh, Gentiles. I'm talking about the Judaizers. Those who say to you, in order to get Jesus, keep Jesus and maintain Jesus, you've got to be self-righteous. You've got to be circumcised. But we who follow Jesus are the circumcision you notice the difference there he didn't say we who follow jesus are circumcised he's like we are the circumcision he moves it from an external event to an internal reality which he speaks to in a number of his other letters about the circumcision of the heart now just in case you're wondering paul is absolutely against the reality of being circumcised in any way just fyi complete side note but i think it matters when timothy was going to go into ministry with paul he was not circumcised you know what paul told him to do as an adult, get circumcised. So you're like, hold on, time out. I don't understand. Paul's like goes to Timothy, who he just used as an example in Philippians to say, follow Timothy. And he told him to get circumcised as an adult. And now he's telling these people, don't listen to those people who want you circumcised. Paul is crazy. No, he's not. Because what Paul is constantly showing us by the power of the Spirit is that it is not what we do that matters nearly as much as why we're doing it. When he asked Timothy to do that, it is because Timothy was going to pastor a group of people in a cultural moment in history that wouldn't even listen to him if he wasn't circumcised. And so as a means to mission, he set aside a right he had not to be circumcised and he got circumcised for the sake of the gospel if you ever set aside rights you have for the sake of the gospel if you set aside prerogatives you have for the sake of the gospel you know what that is it's beautiful but if you do things for the sake of self-righteousness for the sake of proving something for the sake of tying identity to something other than jesus then that same act that is beautiful as an act of mission is demonic and terrible as an act of self-righteousness what he's saying here is folks listen to me man, watch your life and live a gospel honoring life. But don't, don't ever buy into that that gospel honoring life is what makes you special to Jesus. Don't ever buy into that that gospel honoring life is what gets you Jesus or keeps you Jesus or maintains you Jesus. Jesus does that all by himself because he loves you. What, what that is, is a response to what Jesus has done for you. And so don't buy into the legalistic version of this. And he says, in fact, we are the circumcision. Let's talk about how the circumcision functions. Those who are in Christ. This is what he says. We are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Three things, Paul says, you will notice about people who are following Jesus that are not following him out of self-righteousness or self-governance, legalism or lawlessness, but following him out of worship or awe of Jesus. One, they will worship by the spirit. The word worship here is the same word used in Romans chapter 12 when he wrote these words. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, present yourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your spiritual act of worship. It is not about coming and singing. It is about taking the whole totality of my life and saying my life, which was once for me to build my story and my kingdom is now for you to build your story and your kingdom. And I am going to give my whole life as an act of worship. And Paul says, those who serve Jesus by the power of the Spirit, who have, they have received, because they are serving him out of a view of his mercy to them, those are the circumcision. When we serve God, when we live lives that are gospel-centered, we ought to constantly also examine that we are living them, not to prove anything to ourselves, to Jesus or to each other, but because he's awesome and he's worthy of our service. And he's empowered us by his spirit and invited us to serve. And what human who knows how awesome Jesus is, knows that we are empowered to do supernatural things by his spirit and are invited to participate would be crazy enough not to want to. That's how we should think. Gosh, I want to serve because he's awesome. He's empowered me and he's invited me. I don't have to serve, but I sure want to serve. And the second I think I have to serve to prove something to him, to myself or to you all, then I have shifted ever so slightly into the philosophy that says, you better do something to make Jesus happy. And Jesus did enough to cover those grounds completely. He delights in you because he saved you. He doesn't delight in you because you're delightful. And that's enough. And now that he delights in me, now I get to want to serve him empowered by his spirit. And then he says, not only do they serve me empowered by my spirit because I'm awesome, but they glory in me. What does glory in me mean? The word glory here means to boast. Let's just be honest for a second. Uh, we all in this room are human, I would suspect, generally speaking. Um, and so, uh, you know what we do? We do boasting real well. Every one of you boasts and you boast in yourself. You're like, no, no, I, I, I don't. I'm, super humble person. And I know people that boast, they're very gregarious and outgoing, like always telling you how awesome I We have, we have passive aggressive boasters. We have uh, external expressive boasters. We all boast in different ways. So some of us boast by martyring ourselves. Oh, I'm in I'm nothing. I'm like, yep, there it is. Boasting, boasting. And then you're suddenly shocked. You're like, oh, do I do that? Yeah, probably. Sorry to, to burst your bubble. We all boast. And when we boast, our propensity is to boast in ourselves as much as possible. Why? Because we have a deep need to be affirmed and loved and liked. And so we like to kind of like in some subtle ways present like, I'm I'm not that bad. And here's what Paul says. Yep, I get it. That is how it rolls. But those who begin to find themselves embedded in Jesus, who rejoice in the Lord as a way of life, also begin to find themselves regularly serving because he's awesome. He's empowered them and he's invited them. And then when they serve and they are accolades, they don't do this. Oh, no, no, it wasn't me. Oh, no, it's all Jesus. And you're like, whatever. We're able to actually say this. Thank you so much. It is nice to be noticed when you do something awesome. But your next shift is always genuinely, doesn't even have to be expressively, but genuinely in here. Your entire heart and mind shifts toward gratitude toward Jesus. Thanks for letting me be part of something like this. Oh my gosh, I had no reason to be. Thanks for saving me. Thanks for making me. Thanks for letting me participate. Thanks that I have some version of a gift or talent. Thanks that I have some resources to do something with. Thanks that I have something to bring to the table. You're awesome. So what Paul is saying is, man, those who follow Jesus, they constantly find themselves serving because of him and then boasting in him that they're even saved to be able to serve. Are you with me so far? And then he's like this, and not only that, but these people put zero confidence in the flesh zero confidence none he has no confidence in the flesh zero there is nothing i bring to the table to jesus that adds to jesus there's nothing i bring to the table to jesus that adds to his love for me that adds to his mercy toward me that adds to his grace toward me that adds to him he is everything i show up and he's awesome so i put no confidence in the flesh now the flesh is interesting because in the scriptures the flesh is used in two contexts always And and I'm coming back to where I started. So catch this because it's important because I think this is where we often live between these two spaces. Sometimes the flesh is used in the context of lawlessness. You have the flesh that you're battling and the flesh is tempting you to do the things opposed to God. Are you with me so far? And so we say, stay away from the flesh or the fleshly things or the things that are the flesh. And whenever we use the word, the flesh, the Gentiles live by the flesh. Then we have a list of things that are, you know, not good, opposed to God, right? So sometimes the flesh is lawlessness. And what does what a participation in the flesh as an act of self governance or lawlessness produce? You can say it death. Death every time. It's dangerous. Then at other times the flesh is used as self righteousness, as in this case. Don't put any confidence in the flesh. You see, this isn't about the temptation side of the flesh. Like, don't put any confidence in that thing that's trying to make you do the bad thing. No, it's saying don't put any confidence in that which is your own obedience brought to Jesus as though you're awesome. If you obey, you obey because you're empowered by the Spirit of God, not because you're awesome. And your obedience that is not by the power of God is an obedience that is like a dirty rag to the Lord anyway. So the point is when we obey, who should get the glory for our obedience? Who should we be grateful that we even were able to obey? Jesus. And so what he's saying is this, man, listen, the people of God, they do not follow the flesh, nor do they put confidence in the flesh. They do not follow lawlessness, nor do they live legalistically. They fix their eyes where? On Jesus. And he drives their service. He drives their boasting. He drives their confidence. These are the circumcision. And then Paul very quickly here, does something a little odd on this exit ramp to kind of close out this illustration. He's like, okay, I'm gonna gonna close it out. We're gonna seal the deal on legalism so that we don't walk into the next highway with any version or thought that the reason I say to follow Epaphroditus or Timothy or me as examples is because behavior matters as it relates to salvation or as as it relates to to Jesus loving us more. No, 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 no. That's just our privilege. Look what he says. He says, okay, of all people, look what he says, this is so funny. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. So now Paul's going to get weird. It's like, okay, speaking of not putting any confidence in the flesh and speaking of me calling the Judaizers dogs and you know, evildoers and mutilators of the flesh, they're going to be a little bent out of shape when they read this letter. And likely, here's what they're going to say. Uh, of course, Paul is against us. Of of course he is, because he can't possibly attain the lives we're living. He is a lawless dude that lives however he wants. And Paul's like, just in case they go down that road, let me just mention something to you. So I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I just love that. Paul's like, if anyone thinks he's awesome as far as self-righteousness goes, I'm awesomer. Just FYI. If anybody thinks they pulled it off, I pulled it off for... More off. (laughs) I embody the reality of self-righteousness embodied. And it was my value system that brought me to God and saying to God, look, I am doing so well. Look, look. I circumcised on the eighth day. That's out of Leviticus. So he's like, before I was even conscious, God was allowing me to follow the law to the letter. So I never, I never broke a law is what he's basically saying externally of the people of Israel. So I, I, I am a thoroughbred of the tr- tribe of Benjamin. I know where I came from. This, a lot of Jewish people didn't know this stuff. They didn't know what their tribe was because it all got mixed up. So Paul's like, I know exactly my tribe. I can track my ancestry back to Benjamin himself. I am a purebred. There is no mix in my blood. I am as good as it gets from a ethnicity standpoint. And we often put a lot of our confidence in our ethnicity, don't we? I am an American. Mm. I love America. But if that's where our identity lands, I love Israel. But if that's where our identity lands, I love lots. Man, we in trouble. So Paul's like, listen, I am the Israelite of Israelites. Not only that, take a look at this. I am the Hebrew of Hebrews. We believe what that means is not so much another statement of his thoroughbredness, but it is more about the language he spoke. So Paul was born in Tarsus. I always say Tardis, which is what Dr. Who travels on, but he wasn't born in Tardis. He was born in Tarsus, just FYI. Um, And so I have to kind of think that through. But Paul was born in Tarsus, which was a Greek speaking city. So the assumption would have been that his first language would have been Greek. And what Paul is saying is in my home, I was raised with the Hebrew language as my first language. So you can pick any path you want as far as look, there's a flaw in his system. He's like, there's no flaw. I got it all covered, every bit of it. God covered it all for me. My self righteousness was bar none. Look, as to the law, a Pharisee. That was a statement of his legalistic righteousness. And then look what he says as to zeal a a persecutor of the church he's referring here to the prophets of old where the people of God would have an outside influence come in and negatively affect their belief in God and some prophet would rise up with zeal Uh, uh, Elijah it said had a zeal or a jealousy for God's people or for God there were other prophets that that was spoken of and what they would do is they would come alongside the people of God and say this terrible thing coming in and invading our philosophy our theology our truth needs to be undone and Paul said listen Listen, when I was a Pharisee and this Jesus thing came to the Jewish table and it was a false religion trying to unravel us, guess what I did? I killed the people that followed Jesus. My zeal was beyond anything you can imagine to protect the integrity of this thing I'm now saying uh, is not the way. And then he says this. As to righteousness under the law, blameless i just i'm sorry i just love that because i do wonder like did paul pause there and pray for a second like spirit of god look here's the deal (laughs) i get it now i was never blameless i'm not blameless there's no blamelessness in me so can i write that down and the spirit's like write it down (laughs) write it down because as far as self-righteousness is concerned you had it down pat so we know that paul doesn't mean that he actually thinks he's blameless Paul is writing a resume on self-righteousness. And he's saying, as far as self-righteousness goes, I checked all the boxes. So you want to bring your self-righteousness to my table to say, man, mine is so awesome. I think it is enough for Jesus. I'll bring mine and it's more and mine wasn't enough. So here's what I did. Here's what I did. Look what Paul says. And now we close out the exit ramp. Here we go. Close out. And that doesn't mean I'm halfway through my sermon. It means I'm actually ending. So take a look at this. But, verse 7, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. So look what Paul just did. He just took this whole exit ramp onto this highway that's gonna take us down this incredible path of what it means to count Christ as everything and everything else as nothing. That is the highway we're about to get on. If you wanna know what safe is, if you wanna know what life is, if you wanna know what freedom is, if you wanna know what light is, it is being on a highway where Jesus is everything and everything else is nothing. And we're about to get on that highway. And as Paul gets us on the highway by the power of the spirit of God, he takes us on this exit ramp and he says these, th- this amazing thing. When we get on this highway, know that this is what this highway is about. Rejoice in the Lord and the Lord alone and count him as everything and everything else as loss. And he put all the flowers on the exit ramp in between about the dogs and the righteous and stuff to say, so that means no lawlessness and that means no legalism, self-righteousness, Zero. We don't put confidence in the flesh. Either way, we put confidence in Christ. So now we're going to unpack that in beautiful ways. And he closes it out this way. Of all people on the planet that had reason to put confidence in the flesh, I had reason. And when I encountered Jesus, you know what I discovered? Listen, this is what Paul just said. That everything I gained that was gained to me turned out to be loss, nothing. And that which I thought was loss, Jesus invading Judaism and taking from us what we had gained. Are you with me so far? Remember his zeal? I'm gonna kill Jesus and I'm gonna kill all the people that follow Jesus because they're wrecking what we have gained. I discovered actually that Jesus was the gain and all my stuff was the loss. So what Paul is saying here or starting to say as we enter the highway is this, I don't only see now, that what I had is loss and Christ is gain, I am actually going to relinquish, renounce, let go of anything I've ever held as gain. And I'm going to embed all my gain in the person of Jesus Christ so that my life becomes a life that says my eyes are fixed on Jesus, my mind is set on Jesus, my heart is bent toward Jesus, I follow those who follow Jesus and I ask those to follow me who follow Jesus as I follow Jesus. And together, our life becomes a gospel life, not because we are self-righteously behaving well, but because we are falling more and more in love, rejoicing more and more in Jesus and Jesus alone. So that all circumstances, relational dynamics, resource challenges, or anything else, this dumb planet has to throw at us. Our enemy has to throw at us. Our loved ones have to throw at us. That we will navigate those things. They are complicated. Yes, they are. But we will navigate them constantly coming back to this. Am I diverting and placing confidence in either my flesh obedience or my flesh lawlessness? Or am I constantly coming back and saying, you know what, Jesus? Turns out you're plenty enough. You're plenty enough for me to bear the weight of whatever other losses might be mine. Because you are gain to such an extent that if I count everything loss, I still win. That's pretty awesome. So next week, off we go on our new road. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your incredible love for us. The amazing ways in which you have consistently, by your spirit, shown the authors of scripture to say the same thing over and over again. And even now, Paul, in this beautiful letter saying, oh, it's totally fine for me to repeat myself because it's safe for you. May we hear today that you are saying to our hearts, when you trust me and my ways, and my work, instead of bringing your work or your ways to the table as a means to your freedom, then I will show you safe. God, may we be a people that when we discover that we are leaning into some self-governance, assuming our way better than yours, or when we are leaning into some self-righteousness, assuming our obedience as some addition to your salvation or your grace or love or delight in us may you just quietly whisper to our hearts and say uh, uh 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 not safe not safe not safe i am the only safe place to rejoice in to land in to sit in to trust in to follow god make us a people who follow you because you're awesome and because you've empowered us to And because you've invited us to. And because you are worthy of our boasting. And because our flesh leaves us with nothing when we put our confidence in it. So may we lean fully into who you are, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.